Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Leslie E. Hi, everybody. I'm Leslie. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. I'm really grateful to be here. Um, I want to thank Lucy for coming. She's my new baby and Latusa, my other baby. And I have another baby, Lucy, who's in Italy right now having a great time. Calls me from Italy. And I want to welcome you if you are new to Overeaters Anonymous. You know, um, I can tell you that this program works. It works really, really well. Um, and I'm an example of that. I feel really, um, you know, a friend of mine in AA died, and I was at his memorial downstairs today from 2 to 4, and, oh, God, I just, um, I went to work, I walked there, and I walked back to work, I cut more hair, I came here, and oh, it was just a good friend of mine that I met speaking at a, um, at a Silver Club Med, and um, just a good guy, Harvey, Harvey, just Harvilla, he was such a good guy, and you know, it's what my my sponsor is 83, Marion W, and she um, she always tells me enjoy those days because they're they go by fast. You know, she's not in OA; she's sober 44 years, and um, um, she's really helped me. She's helped me work this program and walk the walk, and I want to be just like she is. You know, and I um, I'm just really, really grateful. I'm grateful for my life. Um, I got abstinent uh, um, in 87, um, Thanksgiving 87, and um, I'm really, really grateful for that uh, because my life before I came to OA, food was so scary, you know, scary, uh, and happy birthday, you know, and congratulations to all the chip people, you know. One day is a miracle, you know, it's, it's, and that's how it works. It works one day at a time. You know, you get a day, and then you get another day. Maybe you go back, maybe not, and uh, you just keep moving forward. You know, I was told when I came that eventually I would stop throwing up if I just kept coming back, you know, and I have kept coming back. I'm very active in OA and AA. It's very hard for me to tell my OA story without talking about AA because I'm immersed in both programs, and I... The steps are the same, but AA did not fix my compulsive reading. I can tell you that. Um, it actually got way worse when I got sober. Um, you know, I grew up here. I, grew up, I actually grew up uh, in Brentwood and um, not far from here. And, you know, when I was growing up, uh, my brother was a little heavy. My mother was always putting him on a diet. Um, I was really thin and and. But I was always on a diet, you know. I, I just I remember the diets I did. Like I remember doing the Vidal Sassoon cleansing diet, and we were supposed to clean, uh, fast or something, which never works. And we would fast, and then we would smoke pot, and then we would like chow down, you know. And uh, I was a big pot smoker, so we were uh, bong hits before school, you know. I was loved smoking pot, and um, it's so weird now because I met a girl at my work who had a um, she was like stoned at work and. Somebody said, I think she's stoned. I said, well, it seems that way. And she said, I have a medical marijuana card. And I was like, I don't think that means you can smoke pot at work. I mean, uh, it's also strange, you know. Um, but, God, when I smoked pot, I used to eat and eat and eat, and everything tastes good. Um, 
anyway, so so I didn't really, I mean, I was always on a diet, but I was always thin. I was extremely athletic. But I always had that thing, you know, where I felt like I wasn't good enough. Like I was a gymnast. I, I mean, I trained five days a week. We were competitive. Uh, I went from three to two, and then you go one, then elite. And, and at some point, I just, I quit, you know, and... Um, I was actually smoking a lot of pot, so, and I was probably sleeping with guys at that time, but I, I just, I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to, I don't want to look bad. Like, I have that kind of personality where I want to wake up and speak French, but I don't want to take a French class. <laughs> and I don't want to put in the effort, you know, and I have learned here is that um, I show up no matter what, you know, and if I say I'm going to do something, uh, I have to do it, you know, and regardless of what the result is, you know, because I only want the end, you know. I want my life to be like a movie, you know, where it sort of starts and there's like struggle and then there's a big musical part and then it's over, you know, and they're like a lawyer, you know, and um, they live in Ireland or, you know, somewhere. Uh, But anyway, you know, life is not like that. Like, you don't see all that crappy time in between, you know, which is like brush your teeth, make your bed, pay your bills, like, I'd be like, oh, that bill looks big, and I'd shove it in the drawer and go, I'll get to it later, you know, um, and later never comes. I can say that my later is always, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get abstinence. I'll, I'll stop throwing up tomorrow, you know, I'll stop eating sugar tomorrow, I'll stop drinking tomorrow, I'll stop doing all this stuff tomorrow, I'll stop charging on my Neiman Marcus credit card tomorrow, you know, um, uh, and I have found that tomorrow doesn't ever come, that today is as good a day as any to get get anything going, you know. And I don't, I do not quit today. You know, once I start, I finish, you know, and that has helped me. I I think my sponsor always says half the battle is being on time, doing what you say, and just just getting yourself there. Like, you bring yourself to meetings and you will get it. You put yourself in that seat, whether you listen to the speaker, whether you do anything, it eventually sort of seeps in, you know. Um, Anyway, so when I was growing up... um, you know, I mean, I started, well, I started drinking so young. I started smoking pot and, and God, do we used to take black beauties and then we could starve forever, you know, and clean the house too. And I just, I loved speed. I loved crosswise, black beauties, crystal meth. I loved all that stuff. Um, very busy. I was tweaky busy and, um, uh, and skinny, you know. Um, so what, what got me to, to AA was I was doing a lot of crystal meth and I was living in West Hollywood and I was hanging out with all drag queens at this place called The Probe and um, uh, I had a tambourine and I was chewing gum and I was tweaked out of my mind and now it's funny because now crystal meth is like that's why you can't buy Sudafed at the drugstore and then nobody really knew what it was. Now I'm Oprah of soccer moms doing crystal and uh, it was kind of a gay drug back then and, but I liked it and I liked the whole not eating. I mean I used to stay up for three, four nights in a row and I never I had grape juice, I think, and big red gum, and um, I thought that was awesome. You know, I'd sit in my pants, they were hanging off me, it was all very exciting, and it was that same feeling I get where it's like, I want to sort of disappear. I don't want to really have a body going on, I just want to sort of disappear, you know, and um, I was disappearing. Um, anyway, I, I ended up, you know, I have a grandfather who got sober in 1952, January 9th, 1952, and he ended up 12-stepping me into Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, you know, it, it says in, in the big book, you know, that I like that. You wait until your prospect is a little depressed, you know. Um, call on him when he's jittery, you know, which was I was always depressed. And um, 
if you stay up for three nights in a row, you're very depressed. And so he ended up taking me to AA, and um, I didn't get sober right away. Uh, but I do believe I went to Kentucky, where he was from, a little while later, and I I was in church when I was there, and I said a prayer, and, and um, I believe God heard my prayer. You know, I believe God hears all of our prayers. And um, I asked God to please help me and help me to feel comfortable and serene because I felt serene, and I did not feel comfortable inside. I had all that dis-ease that, like, my head was very busy. It was very busy in there, and and I ended up coming back and getting sober in, in January 19th, 1985, and I, um, I've been sober 23 years, and I'm so grateful, so grateful. But what happened was I got sober, and then I, I was going to AA, and there's tons of food in AA, because it, it does say in the book you give your prospects some sugar. You know, it's always good when they're coming off their booze, and um, I ate a lot of sugar, man. I was, like, woofing down food and smoking, and because I do everything really compulsively. I don't do anything. I, I could chew gum and chew, like, 80 pieces in a row, you know. Um, that's just how I'm wired, and and so I could not stop eating, you know, and I was eating at meetings, eating at meetings, and... And then I started, uh, I heard all these bulimic girls talking about throwing up, and I thought, well, that's, like, awesome, you know, and I, I started doing that. And, um, you know, the thing about uh, compulsive eating is that it's really, a, like, a disease of isolation, too. I mean, I was not one of those girls who threw up with friends, you know, um, and I didn't eat with other people, you know. I, I would go, you know, I had gone back to school at that time, and I was really afraid to go to school I mean, I've always known that I'm smart, and that, that I come from a really brainiac. They're all engineers. They design computers. and But I was kind of the artsy one, you know, and uh, I went back to school when I got sober, and I was at SMC, and, and I don't know what it was about school, but I went to school Tuesday and Thursday, and every day, or every Tuesday and Thursday, I would go home, I would close those blinds, I would turn on the TV, and I would eat and throw up for hours, you know, and that's how I would pass time. And what I realized what it did, it kept me, well, first of all, it, it eliminates all feelings I might have because, God forbid, I, should, I wanted to just be neutral, you know. I didn't want to have feelings. I didn't want to care about anything. And um, I would just sit home and throw up and eat, and then I would finally brush my teeth, and I would go off to my AA meeting, and I was just, I just hated myself. I just, I wanted to be thinner because I had gained a bunch. I had quit smoking at that point, and I gained a bunch of weight, and I just, I swear to God, I thought I was going to die, you know, and um, I could not stop eating. Like, it was that thing where I remember even going to see my grandfather in Kentucky and, like, going out to dinner, and once once I would start to eat, there would be that thing in my head where I'd think, I'm going to throw up, and once I had that thought, I would eat like there was no tomorrow, and then, God forbid, there's no bathroom nearby. You know, it was, I was so detached from everything that was going on because all that does is turn me in, you know, and I have learned the program turns me out. When I'm thinking about you, I cannot think about me, you know, um, and I just thought about me. I thought I could think my way out of my problems, but I cannot, I, I've learned that I cannot think my way out of my problems. I have to act my way into the solution, you know, that, that I get better by taking different actions, which does not come from me thinking about it first, you know, um, and that's what a sponsor does for me is she sort of uh, sometimes kindly, sometimes not gives me this swift kick to force me to do things that I don't really think have anything to do with my problems, and um, I'm usually wrong, actually, uh, and 
So I, I ended up, you know, finally telling my sponsor, because I kind of thought, you know, I've had therapists before, and I lied to all of them, and what does it matter really, you know. Uh, but I kind of knew that AA and, and the steps and my sponsor relationship was really based on honesty, and I tr- I'd been sober a little bit then, and I trusted her, and I knew that she wanted nothing but the best for me. And, but I didn't want to tell her, because I thought if I tell her, I'm going to get fat, and and I'm going to get really fat because the gig will be up and I'll have to stop all the weird... I, I ate so weird. I mean, I don't think I had a meal for years. I mean, when I was out there drinking, I didn't have any meals. There were no meals. I mean, I don't know how. I, I never went to the market. I spent all my money on drugs. And um, I just I just thought, I can't do it because then she'll know and then I'll have to do something about it. And but that little part of me, uh, kind of the God part of me and the said, you know what, just tell her, you know, and I told her, and she directed me to somebody in OA, you know, who took me to a meeting, or she didn't take me to a meeting, she just told me where to go, and off I went, and it was a bulimic anorexic meeting, and I remember uh, thinking, like, oh, these are my people, you know, I I relate so much to all that that self-hatred and that self-loathing and that picking up that big stick and just beating myself to death, you know, where other people look at me and think I look fine, you know, but... I was not fine, you know, and um, it was really scary, and, and I, I kept coming back, you know. I mean, I had good AA training. I come from a great, strong, rockin' AA group, and I, I had been doing the deal. I'd been going to a lot of meetings. I had commitments. I got there early. I, I knew what to do, and I did it. And the funny thing is, you know, I always um, – it's funny how people never want to go to meetings. You know, I like that thing. Like, if we could all recover home alone, we would, you know. But <laughs> I just don't know how you get better if you don't go to a lot of meetings, you know. I mean, for, for with food, there's food coming at you all the time. Like, I always, if I have a bad meal, I always think, oh, there's another one coming, you know. Uh, they keep on coming, you know. And and I went to a lot of meetings. I mean, I, I was doing my AA thing, but then I started going to OA and, and I remember thinking, like, I'm never going to get better. I'm never going to get better. And I was so obsessed with food, you know. And I'm here to tell you that I have gotten better, you know, and that what I really wanted, um, my abstinence is I don't throw up no matter what. And I have done that for um, since 1987, so for um, over 20 years. And uh, and it was hard. You know, my food was crappy in the beginning. I, I was all over the place. I mean, I... Um, I had to make a lot. I had to, like, really work it, you know. And that's why they read the tools at all the meetings, because you need to use those tools a lot. Like, you don't kind of finish. Um, But I had to make calls. I had to write. I had to pray. I had to, I mean, I play games with myself to this day. Like, the couple things that worked for me was one, well, for me, I stopped weighing myself because I had this torturous relationship with my scale. And um, I don't own a scale, and um, I don't want a scale. It, It just doesn't work for me. And... So I stopped weighing myself, and uh, I um, I would tell myself, like, we're not going to eat that now, but if you want it in an hour, I'll have it in an hour. Or if I want it tomorrow, because somehow if I said I couldn't have anything, it was like all I ever wanted to eat, you know. So I don't really have anything that I can't eat. I mean, there are things that I don't really eat. And, you know, I made a list of kind of the red light, green light, you know, yellow light foods, which gave me an idea of, what I could eat. And, you know, it's even today, sometimes I make good choices, sometimes I don't. It's my choice, though, you know, um, and I pay the price for making a bad choice. So 
um, aren't good, bad. I mean, just something that doesn't make me feel so great after I eat it. You know, I, I don't go on any diets. I'm done with diets. Like, I always think it, it, that if you want to gain weight, just go on a diet. You know, um, I just know diets. I, I work in a salon, you know, and everybody's on a diet. Like, we've had, this year alone, we have had cookie diet, lots of Jenny Craig, lots of Weight Watchers, lots of... Um, some fasting things, you know, and I watch them, and I watch people lose weight, and then they all gain it back. I mean, it's like, it's so interesting, and then they look at me, and what I, what I do is I just, I need to have a plan, you know, I need to know where I'm going to be and what I'm going to eat, and a lot of it I've learned truly by trial and error, you know, I have breakfast at home usually, so I'm home, and um, I, I make a bunch of lunches all at once. And I just put them on plates with soil, and I bring it to work. And it's salad or, you know, like protein. I just think protein and vegetables. I always try to think of, like, what would God have me eat? God would want me to nourish my body and eat something clean and spiritual. You know, so I, I try to do that. So it's, it's not a diet, but it's good food. And everybody marvels at my food. I swear I can make food for the whole salon and go into business. Um, but it's just having a plan, you know. And then I kind of know, like, I can go five hours without eating, maybe six, you know, and once I go too far, then I could eat everything in sight, you know, uh, and and all of that I, I've kind of learned, but but every day I kind of know where I'll be, what I'll eat, like today was weird because I, I had to cram all these clients in to get to this memorial, so I sort of ate my lunch and then I had to do a client and I ate the rest of it and ran down here and I'll have dinner at home tonight and, you know, that has really, really helped me because my head tells me you need to starve. Like, you don't deserve to eat three times a day. You deserve to eat maybe twice. And every time I do that, it always, well, I don't do it, but it backfires. It doesn't work, you know. Like, one time I had surgery and I ate yogurt because I had some sort of weird stomach thing and I had the surgery. And um, I lost weight eating yogurt. And then all I wanted to do was eat yogurt. I was like, if I just eat yogurt, I'm going to be skinny, you know. And I was at the market buying yogurt and trying to get back to the time where I, I like, had kidney stones and had this full-on gnarly surgery and was like on Demerol, which wasn't that bad, but um, <laughs> for me, you know, um, I don't want kidney stones again, but that was the only redeeming part of the whole thing. But, you know, just I have like stupid, weird ideas, like weird ideas about food. Um, so, you know, I got here and I started, got really busy and we, I was going to the Monday Night Drug and Alcohol Center and we were all like crazy little bulimic anorexic girls and... Um, uh, you know, I used to think, I want to be an anorexic. I want to be really skinny. You know, tell you meet some anorexics that are really skinny, and it's really bad. It's like being in prison, you know, within your own body. I mean, it's not it's not it either, you know. And, and I have learned that, like, anorexia to compulsive reading and, and very large, you know, it's, it all has the same elements, you know. It just looks a little bit different, you know. But... I wanted to have sane and guilt-free eating was kind of my thing. Like, I want to have sane and guilt-free eating. I want to be able to go anywhere in the world and eat and not have to bring my food, you know. And, and I've pretty much, I've been able to do that. You know, I've, I was just in Italy. Um, it's so fun. I had this great trip to Europe planned. I went to Croatia and an island off Croatia called Havar into Italy. And my friend was in Croatia. She's Croatian. And um, we went over there. And your food is so whacked when you're uh, with the time and the this and and I told my boyfriend, I said, you would have been so happy. I drank all my coffee. It's full fat. I didn't even bother doing a non-fat thing. or I just took it as it came, and, and I, I gained no weight in Europe. Um, and 
And I felt free, like I felt like we could eat our breakfast and then go out and live my life, you know, and that's what I try to do. Because before, what I used to do was spend my entire day eating, but I was really trying not to eat, and I was only eating only diety, rice cakes, you know, sugar-free hot chocolate, like weird, you know, eating disorder girl food, and um, uh, like air food, which was then topped off usually by, you know, something really awful because it doesn't sustain you at all. And I just, I've come so far from that, you know, where when I was in Europe, I was really so afraid before I went. I swear, I was such a retard. You thought I was going to be tortured. I was going to Europe. Hello, good good things. Um, and I went with my daughter, who's almost 15. And, and, you know, there was this one time when we were in Havar, which is a really groovy island, and um, we were on the beach, and everybody around us was, you know, in teeny bikinis and topless and from, you know, France and Italy and Germany, everywhere. And she noticed it right away and said, nobody's weird about their body. Nobody checks you out. I said, I don't think they really care. Whoop, we took our tops off and off we were going. You know, I bought her a teeny bathing suit. And, and it was so nice for her to see that, that nobody cared. You know, I mean, people were just letting it hang out and they looked fine and nobody looked at you. And um, it was just a really, us sitting there topless on that beach is an awesome memory for me. Um, and we had, we just had a really, really good time. And I, I, I tried to go to a couple AA meetings, and I couldn't find this meeting in Rome. And I told my sponsor, I said the, the best thing I could think to do was the next day I, I was running. I ran a lot there, and I saw all sorts of things while I was running. And I thought of her little voice saying, "Don't miss a thing. Don't miss a thing. You know, um, soak it all up while you're there." And um, I said, you know, I couldn't find the meeting, so the next day I got up and I ran to the Spanish Steps and I said a prayer. And then I ran to the Trevi Fountain and I said another prayer. I sat down and looked at the fountain and marveled at it. And then I ran to the, to the Pantheon and I said a prayer. And then I ran to the, where all these cats are, this Largo de Argentina or something. And I petted cats and I said a prayer. And then I went to the Coliseum and I said a prayer. And then I ran back. It was a very long run, and um, I, uh, but I like ran, walked. I wasn't. I used to be obsessed with running too, so I would have never stopped in the middle of my run. I would have like been, oh, there's a coliseum, while moving at rapid clip, you know, um, in my marathon days. And uh, but I really, my sponsor said that is as good as a meeting. She said that totally counts, and and I just felt really overwhelmed with gratitude for my life and for the freedom I have, and for my daughter, and the fact that we are able to go to Europe, and, because, um, God, if I was eating there, if I was drinking and eating there, I'd be, like, gone, man. Um, they have really good food there, too. They do have good food. And and it was just, it was so awesome, you know. It was just, it was such a gift. And, and me and my daughter got along so well. We came out, she started school, she's, like, evil. Um <laughs> I was like, God, are you the same? Where did the aliens take you to? You're so mean. You loved your mother. We're going to Europe again next summer, you know, but she'll be nice right before that happens, you know, uh, to make sure I take her. Anyway, so so I just feel blessed. You know, I, a lot of stuff has happened to me, you know. Um, I did go to school, even though school made me want to throw up no matter, like, more than anything, but... School, I think, was the hardest thing I ever did. I hated college because I could always get by in life kind of on my personality, who I knew. It used to be who I would sleep with maybe, but um, just something, you know, something besides actually doing work, you know. And school, you have to do work. And so I went to Santa Monica College, and, and I had already been cutting hair. You know, I started cutting hair when I was 18 or 18, you know. I've been cutting hair for 26 years now. And um, 
it's like second nature to me, and I just I love it. You know, it's an awesome job. And and um, but I did go to school, and it was like an amends to my dad. My dad was so happy I was in college and hated school. You know, I, I know some people love school. I hated every minute of it. And but I did go to school for eight, seven, eight years part time, and then I went to UCLA and. Um, you know, it's good for me to do things that I don't want to do, and it's good for me to do things that are hard. Like Just like in that Just for Today where it says we'll learn something or we'll study something that, you know, will, will not be a mental loafer, I think is what it says, which I like the visual of a huge loafer coming at me. And um, uh, But it was hard, and it made me want to eat, I think, more than anything. It made me feel really inadequate, you know, and that's what eating does. It buffers all that stuff, you know. Um, uh, I ended up, you know, I got married and um, I got divorced and, you know, uh, when I was married, though, I have to say, you know, it was very weird having, like, I could buy my food before and when I was married, I was going to come home with, like, brownies from meeting and all this stuff and then I learned in LA that I could throw things out if they were calling my name and I lived on the 12th floor on Ocean Avenue and we had a trash chute because I could throw things before in the trash but I would totally take them out and eat them, you know, um, and, uh, so I would just go, woo, I'm going to throw it down the trash chute. And so I would throw his food down the trash chute all the time. And then he was like, where's my brownies? You know, and I'd be like, oh, I was going to eat them. I threw them down the trash chute. And he's like, you can't throw my food away. You know, and I've had to learn, like, once you have kids, too, I mean, the food you have in your house is, like, bizarre. I mean, you're eating, like, macaroni and cheese. I remember eating, like, noodles with butter and peas. And I was like, what am I eating? This is so disgusting. But um, kids eat different things, you know, and... Uh, but I, I kind of had to, it's funny because I have a lot of food in my house now that I don't really eat. Like my boyfriend has ice cream and all this stuff and I don't really eat it. And um, it reminds me of throwing up. If you're going to throw up anything, ice cream is the rocking thing to throw up. It's easy. And um, I, don't, I don't really eat it. You know, I don't eat frozen yogurt every now and then, but it, it just reminds me so much of throwing up. And um, But it doesn't, it's weird. I don't even see it. You know, like I open my freezer. I, I'm not, I don't even, it, it doesn't, I don't see it. It's not my food, you know. And and I get up every morning, and I pray, and, um, you know, I ask God to help me, because I was reading the big book today, and um, I was reading, I think, Working with Others, and I think I read We Agnostics first, and then you know, I wanted to read Working with Others, and, and um, you know, I believe that I am, a, I am one of God's kids, and I believe that God loves me, and I believe that God loves me. He loves all of you. I don't think he loves anybody any more than anybody else. And um, I like what it says in the book, you know, about God, that you can, um, you have to find some sort of higher power. But, but it doesn't really matter what it is. And it really says that, what I read, is that it says that just, any start you make is fine. You know, it could be the ocean. It could be the sun rising and setting. It really doesn't matter, you know. Um, and I believe so much that God wants me to go out and be kind and loving. And a lot of time I just say, you know, thy will not mind be done, you know, or show me what you would have me be. Because what my ideas are for my life, are really different. You know, like I was married. I thought I would stay married. We had a baby. We got divorced, you know, and it was really ugly in our AA group. Um, 
I'll just say that. I hate to, I hate to slam my ex-husband, but um, we're really good friends. We're, we get along great, and he's actually a cop now, which is like the weirdest thing. I'm like, I can't believe you're the law. You know, um, one time we got in a big fight with my daughter. I think I grabbed her by the arm. She said, I'm calling your dad. I said, are you going to report me? See if he arrests me? Um, so I said, I'll call him first, you know, but we get along well. But at the time, it was really an awful thing, and, and I, I just think, like, why is God doing this to me? Like, I just had a baby, and, and I got skinny. Like, I was like, I got a baby, and I'm thin, you know, um, um, he should really want me, you know, and, and I learned that people just do what they do, and I happened to be there. He didn't do anything to me. He he just did what he did, and I happened to be there. And, and now in hindsight, you know, it's all, all that hindsight stuff is great with a lot of time, is that everything worked out exactly the way it was supposed to work out. I actually wouldn't want to be married to him. He's a, he's a good guy. We have a lot of history. You know, my sponsor sponsored his grandmother. My friend is married to his uncle. I mean, we're very, you know, my daughter has two sisters. You know, he has two kids with his new wife, and they come over, and I carry, I, I love them. I love my daughter with them. But at the time, it seemed like the worst thing. And, you know, the, the thing I learned about that really was, first, I, I, I started running, which was great. You know, I was smoking, lucky strikes, and it was great. And uh, I was really skinny, and I was running, and um, it helped me because I ran with a group of AA people, and we all ran together. And it taught me that I can do any, it showed me what we learn in the steps, you know, that if we take the action, the feelings will follow, you know, that I showed up, I ran, you know, we all were running, we were trained, then they were, well, you want to do a 10K, sure, you want to do a marathon, no, okay, I'll do it, you know, one of my babies was doing, she was like, come on, you can do it, and I was like, I can't do it, and um, I trained, and I did it, and I ran the Las Vegas Marathon, and um, I ran actually in a good time, we're in at 3.53, my best time, and uh and I thought, God, I hated running. When I was a gymnast, I hated running when you would vault. And um, I thought, I, I did it. I showed up. I did what I, I followed this training schedule. And one day at a time, one step at a time, I was there. You know, and that's how my life has worked. I, I'm, I just take the action, and then I'm, I'm doing it. You know, um, regardless of how I feel. You know, I felt awful about it, and I was the worst runner in her whole group. And, and but I did it, and, and I learned that. Um, you can be sad, and you can have horrible things happen, and that uh, you'll be happy eventually again. Our speaker said it on Thursday night down at my meeting, and she said, you know, it was, life was like a wheel. You know, and if you're at the top of, at the, top of the wheel, good for you. Great. Enjoy it, because eventually the wheel starts to turn. And when you're at the top, it doesn't last long enough. And when you're at the bottom, it feels like you're going to be there forever, you know. And I was at the bottom of the wheel for a while, you know, and eventually the wheel started to turn, you know. And, and I got happy again, and I felt light and happy. And, you know, that pain has a beginning, a middle, and an end, you know. And um, I was able to forgive my ex-husband because I do believe what it says in the book that we can have no justified resentments, you know. I don't resent him. He gave me a beautiful daughter, and he's been a good dad, and that's that, you know. Um, and I, I wanted everybody to feel sorry for me at one point. And it doesn't work because I'm not, like, the person that people feel sorry for. I look pretty competent, and, like, I can do things. And, and but the, when I want you to feel sorry for me, it's really, it doesn't work. It's much better when I get into the solution and um, when I'm turning around and helping you. And and so I, I, I used to think, like, I don't want to be a single mother. I don't want to do all this stuff by myself. I would call my sponsor and say, I can't do it. Uh, first, I'd be like, I hate my daughter. I want to get rid of her. And um, uh, she's out to her life is to make mine miserable. And, um, and she was really defiant and probably just like I was a kid. And um, 
My sponsor, I will never forget the time that she, boy, she, her husband had just died, I think, recently, and she was driving, and I had to pull over because she was like, I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to listen to me, and I'm going to tell you only one time. I mean, she was, my sponsor looks really sweet. She's really a little old lady, big glasses, and um, very hip and cute, and, but, God, she, she just said, you will do this. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what you do. You will find a solution because that is your job, and that's what God told is going to have you. But it, it went on because at the end of the conversation, I was going, <gasps> and she, she, and then she was like, she had to go, you know. And I was going to play Pictionary with a bunch of girls. I, I could not speak. I was like, I hate her. She's the meanest woman on the planet. And I had been going to parenting classes and doing all this stuff. And you know what? The next day, I called her and. Um, that's why I think it's great if your sponsor should not be your friend. You know, um, my sponsor will absolutely tell me the truth to save my life. And uh, she said, you know what, I know you're really mad at me. I was so mad at her. But she said, I really, really love you, and I believe that you can do it. And if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't push you. But you have to find a solution, and you can do it, and you are stronger than you think. And I was mad at her for a while, I think. But um, I, I just kept calling because that's what I do. And you know what? I did find a solution. And I, I can say that my daughter tells me more than any other parent. Say, ask your daughter. Find out what's happening with them. She tells me who's smoking pot, who's sleeping with who, who's doing this, who's lying about that. I mean, she. we have developed a really awesome relationship. And um, it's because I was told I couldn't give up, you know, because I like, I want to quit. I don't want to do it. I'll do it later. Not now. I can't. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't. And it's not true, you know. And um, I, uh, I'm i really, really grateful to her. I love her. I can't say enough about sponsorship. I love the girls that I sponsor. They help me, you know, more probably more than I help them. And um, <laughs> at the memorial today, I said that Harvey would say to that sponsees are an awesome source of entertainment, you know. Um, 